past the town of Tribulation and straight on to Daring Do. Chapter 8 The first thing we saw when we arrived at the old harbour on Monday morning was a police car parked near to the pontoon. As we unloaded our car and attached Dottie's leash to our harness, we looked down to the place where Boat Boy Bob kept his tender and could see a police officer standing next to him with a notebook in his hand. Every so often he would write something in it before asking Bob further questions. I scanned the rest of the harbour and could see that another police officer was talking to Billio at the end of the pier and a third was walking along the towpath prodding and poking the bushes with a long pole. What's going on here then, said Grandma. We did not have to wait long before we found out because the policeman who had been talking to Bob seemed to have finished his interview and now turned his attention on us. "'Excuse me, madam,' he called out to Grandma. "'Do you have a boat here?' She said that she did and pointed to the Fiona on the other side of the dock. He asked if she would mind going over to the boat with him to check that all was in order. He explained that some boats had been broken into during the weekend and equipment had been stolen. Grandma looked anxious, so I allowed Dottie to set off along the cinder path at top speed while I held on to her leash. I wanted to get to the boat before anyone else arrived in case it had been damaged and a runaway cat was a good excuse. To my great relief, everything on board was in good order and we arrived there just as the policeman and Grandma came up behind us. The policeman had a look around and, satisfied that nothing was amiss, was about to retrace his steps along the path when Boat Boy Bob called to him from the Morning Star. Everything is okay here. I was not aware of Miss Danvers' approach until a voice at the side of the boat said frostily, Well, it would be, wouldn't it? They don't steal from one another, do they? Ma had always told me to speak to grown-ups with respect, but I felt my arms become rigid at my sides, my fist clench and a red mist swirl around my brain. I could not help myself. How can you be so mean to Bob? He's the kindest, most honest, most helpful, most... Here I ran out of mosts, so I drew a deep breath and blurted out, Anyway, he wasn't even here this weekend. He was staying with his dad in Somerset. The police officer, as grown-ups often do, did not want to take a child's word for it and looked to my grandmother for confirmation. Is that true? Yes, she said. My granddaughter does not tell lies. The Danvers huffed and said, Well... If it wasn't him, it was probably one of those friends of his. And wagging her finger at the policeman said, Go and check your records and you'll see they've been in trouble before. Teenage troublemakers. She was keen to change the subject rather than to apologise. So she handed him a piece of paper. I've made an inventory of everything that's been stolen from my boat, she said. He scanned the list and pointed to the last two items. A ship's brass barometer with a square of blue paint on the back, he read out. Yes, she said, the blue paint was a result of my father hanging it on the wall in the hallway before the paint had dried. 
old-style binoculars with brass eyepieces engraved on the side with Presented to Captain E. Danvers, 1947, he continued. My father's, obviously, she added. Mm, the electrical items will be hard to trace, but these two are quite distinctive. They had started to walk along the path that led back to her boat, so the rest of their conversation was lost. Grandma turned to me and said, Phew, you certainly got your steam up, and raising one hand in the air, tugged on an invisible cord and made a sound like an old locomotive. Toot, toot! I felt my arms relax and the beginnings of a smile creep into the corners of my mouth. She certainly got your dander up, she continued. More like my Danvers up, I giggled, and we both began to laugh so loudly that the lady in question turned and gave us one of her usual sour glares. So we stifled our giggles and ducked below into the cabin. Boat boy Bob announced his arrival with a bang on the side of the boat as he secured the tender to the Fiona's stern. It startled the little cat who, despite all the commotion, was asleep on her coiled rope and she gave a loud chirp. Permission to come aboard, he called out as he clambered into the cockpit. Well, it seems he thinks it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, said Grandma. I didn't ask, but I was beginning to understand more and more of her sayings. I was waiting for her to go, he said, nodding in the direction of the Danvers. She's horrible, I said to Bob. She thinks you're in car boots with those boys from school. There was a moment's silence as Bob and Grandma exchanged puzzled glances and then at the same time worked out what I meant. Cahoots, said Grandma. You mean she thinks that you're in cahoots with them? And don't ask me what that means because I haven't got a clue. This was the cause of so much laughter that Grandma took out a small handkerchief and wiped the tears from her eyes. When we had calmed down again, she said, Actually, you might have an idea there. The thieves will need to try and get rid of what they've stolen very quickly, so I think we ought to keep our eyes open at the car boot sale in the market square on Saturday. Bob and I nodded, but both of us would rather be sailing than shopping. A little while later, as Bob rowed us towards the canal, he told me about his weekend. His father and his new girlfriend had taken him to an air show, followed by dinner at a restaurant overlooking the local marina. Call me Mel, she kept saying. She was trying to get me to like her, he said, but it was obvious that I didn't like her and that she didn't like me. I told Dad I didn't want to visit him again if Call Me Mel was going to be there, and he got angry and brought me home early. We passed under the swing bridge, taking care to give the Danvers a wide berth, and continued slowly up the canal. As we drew near to the thick reeds where the swan had its nest, Bob said we had better turn early to avoid disturbing the bird again. At that point, the reeds on either side were so thick and dense that it was difficult to make a complete circle, and we ploughed into a large clump near the roadside bank. As the tall stems parted, I caught a glimpse of something in the shallow water, near to the edge. At that moment, the sun came from behind a cloud and caused the water to sparkle bright and golden around the object. Look, I called to Bob, there's something in the water over there. 
He tried to beat down the undergrowth with the oar, but we were too far away to reach. He moved as far forward in the boat as we could and was about to try to take hold of the object when I pulled him back. Wait, I said, that looks like a pair of brass binoculars. I suspected that it was the pair that had been stolen from the Danvers and if we went back with them, she would accuse Bob of taking them. He considered for a moment and then said, You're right, we'd better get your grandma. He rode back as quickly as he could, not even bothering to avoid passing close to Miss Danvers' boat. Luckily, her owner was nowhere to be seen and we were soon in sight of the Fiona. Grandma was sitting on the deck and after we'd gabbled out our discovery, she stood up and called across to the car park where the three policemen were loading their car ready to leave. She told them to wait there while she walked round by the pathway, instructing us to row back to the place where we'd seen the binoculars and wait while she came along the road with the police officers. You'll know the spot, said Bob. I could see the big oak tree in the lane where the reeds flattened. He told Grandma that the oak tree stood near to a passing place on the lane so they would be able to park there. A few minutes later we listened as the police car drew up and a voice called out to us, Is this the place? Bob waved the oar in the air so that it would be seen from the bank. Right, the voice commanded. PC Rains, Wellingtons if you please. Yes, Sarge, came the less than enthusiastic reply. Through the curtain of reeds, we could just recognise a young policeman who had spoken to us earlier. He made his way to the water's edge, wearing a pair of Wellingtons that finished well below his knee. We'd hear him muttering and mumbling as the slimy green water flowed over the top of them and soaked his socks. Got them, Sarge, he called out, brandishing the binoculars so vigorously above his head that he lost his balance and sat down heavily with a splash amongst the reeds. This activity sent a wave towards our boat and caused it to rock so violently that I thought we would end up in the water with him. The sergeant showed little sympathy for him, calling out, Mind the evidence! Shaking his head, he added, PC rains. Wet by name and wet by nature. He ordered the third policeman to fetch the pole, which was eventually extended towards the floundering police constable. Not you, shouted the sergeant as the young man made a grab for it. Hook the binoculars onto it. And turning to Grandma, he explained that the evidence must be preserved at all costs. Grandma doubted that PC Rains would have shared that view. Once the binoculars had been carefully placed in a large plastic bag, the pole was offered once more and a very wet policeman was hauled back onto dry land. We were about to turn back towards the pontoon when I heard Grandma say, What's that at the edge of the reeds? Looks like an old carrier bag to me. Probably blown in by the wind, PC Rain said. He was reluctant to go anywhere near the water again. He was relieved when Bob, who had managed to steady the boat, called back, It's OK, I can reach it with the oar. We dragged it on board and after the water had drained out through a hole in the bottom, declared it to be empty. The logo on the bag was familiar, but I could not remember where I'd seen it before. Tinker and Tatler, Fine Antiques, was written in an old-fashioned script on its front. Tinker's tat, said Grandma later, 
as she dished out hot tea and sandwiches to the young waterlogged policeman on board the Fiona. I was about to ask what she meant when she explained that many years ago, Mr Tinker and Mr Tatler had gone into partnership in the town. They'd come from London, where they had owned a shop that sold antiques and aimed to do the same here. For a while, their shop was the best in town and people would come in from miles around to buy their fine furniture. But Mr Tatler was homesick and went back to London, having left Mr Tinker to run the shop. It soon became clear who the brains behind the business had been. With Mr Tatler gone, Mr Tinker soon found himself struggling to keep the shop alive. As the years passed, the fine antiques were replaced with junk and people began to refer to it as Tinker's Tat. I heard that Mr Tinker had become so ill that he had sent for his nephew from London to come and run the shop, so perhaps things would improve. Despite the hot tea, the young policeman sneezed and shivered on the cockpit seat as water dripped from his hair and made a waterfall on the end of his nose. "'You'll take a chill,' said Grandma, as if she was offering him a biscuit. He replied, "'No, thank you. I've already got one.' Everyone found this very amusing, which cheered him up, but I think he was pleased to see his sergeant return with a dry uniform." As we watched the police officers drive away, Grandma looked thoughtfully at the carrier bag lying in the bottom of Bob's boat and said, Tomorrow we are going shopping for antiques. <music>